Chapter Nine of Darnley by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine. Welcome, he said. Oh, long expected to my dear embrace. Dryden. We must not think ourselves safe, said Longpole, when they had got about two miles from the park, till we have put five estates between us and that double cunning fox, Sir Payam Wileton for by break of day his horsemen will be out in every direction and he will not mind breaking a little law to have us which way are we going now demanded the knight i should judge towards canterbury a little to the left we bear now replied longpole and yet the left is become the right for by going left we get right off his land my lord call me not my lord hartley said darnley did i appear before the king as lord darnley his grace might be offended and especially the proud Wolsey, as, after many entreaties made by the best in the land, the prelate refused to see either my father or myself, that we might plead our own cause. Therefore, for the present, I am but Sir Osborne Morris. Thou hast too much wit, I know, to give me my lord at every instant, like yon foolish clothier. Oh, no, not I, replied Longpole. I will Sir Osborne you, sir, mightily. But speaking of the clothier, your worship, how wonderfully the fellow used his legs! It seemed as if every step cried an L wide, and when he stumbled, twas but three quarters. I hope he escaped, if twere but to glorify his running. Even if they took him, said the knight, Sir Payam would not keep him after he found I was gone. If twere not for avarice, said Longpole, the fellow had all his better angels in his bags and Sir Payan has store of avarice. I've seen him wrangle with a beggar for the change of a halfpenny, when the devil tempted him to commit a charity. And yet avarice, looked upon singly, is not a bad vice for a man to have, either. It's a warm, a comfortable, solid sin. And if most men will damn their own souls to get money, he can't be much worse off who damns his to keep it. Oh, I like avarice. Give me avarice for my sin. But I tire your worship no no faith replied the knight thy cheerfulness together with the freedom of my limbs give me new spirit hartley oh good your worship cried longpole call me something else than hartley since the fit is on us for casting our old names i'll be after the fashion too and have a new one well then i will call thee longpole said the knight which was a name we gave thee this morning when thou wert watching us on the bank speak not of it sir osborne replied he that was a bad trick the worst i was ever in but call me longpole if your worship chooses when i was with the army they called me dick fletcher because i made the arrows and now i'll be longpole till such time as your honour is established in all your rights again and then i'll be merry master hartley my lord's man i fear me dick that thou wilt have but little beside thy merriment for thy wages said the knight at least for a while for yon same Sir Payan has my bags too in safe custody, and also some good letters for his grace of Buckingham. Yet I hope to receive in London the ransom of a knight and two squires, whom I made prisoners at Bouvines. Till then we must content ourselves on soldiers' fare, and strive not to grow sad because our purses are empty. Oh, your worship, my merriment never leaves me, said Longpole. They say that I laughed when first I came into the world and with god's will i will laugh when i go out of it when good dr wilbraham your honour's tutor used to teach me latin 
you were but a little thing then some four years old but however i was a great boy of twelve and he would kindly have taught me and made a clerk of me but i laughed so at the gods and goddesses that he never could get on the great old fools of antiquity as i used to call them and then he would cane me and laugh too till he could not cane me for laughing i was a wicked wag in those days but since then i have grown to laugh at folks as much as with them but i think you said sir osborne that you had letters for the duke of buckingham if we walk on at this pace we shall soon be upon his land what he has estates in this county asked the knight my letters were addressed to him at thornbury in gloucestershire oh but he has many a broad acre too in kent answered longpole and a fine house windowed throughout with glass and four chimneys at each end not a room but has its fire they say that he is there even now and much loved he is of the commons being no way proud as some of our lords are with their upturned noses as if they scorned to win their mother's earth were i but sure that his grace was there said the knight i would e'en venture without the letters for much has he been a friend to my father and he is also renowned for his courtesy surely his worship answered longpole if his grace have any grace he must be gracious and yet i have heard that sir payen is the duke's good friend and it might be dangerous to trust yourself i do not fear said the knight the noble duke would never deliver me into the hands of my enemy and although perhaps sir payen may play the sycophant and cringe to serve his own base purposes with his grace i cannot believe that the duke would show him any further favour than such as we yield to a hound that serves us however we must find some place to couch for the night and to-morrow morning i will determine still we must on a little farther to-night said longpole that sir payan has the nose of a bloodhound and i should fear to rest yet for a couple of hours but the country i know well every path and field so that i will not lead your worship wrong for nearly ten miles more lighted by neither moon nor stars did the two travellers proceed through fields over gates and in the midst of woods through which longpole conducted with such an unerring sagacity that the young knight could not help a suspicion crossing his mind that his guide must have made himself acquainted with the paths by some slight practice in deer-stalking or other gentle employments of a similar nature at length however they arrived in the bottom of a little valley where a clear quick stream was dashing along catching and reflecting all the light that remained in the air on the edge of the hill hung a portion of old forest ground in the skirts of which was a group of haystacks and hither longpole led his master seeming quite familiar with all the localities round about here sir leap this little ditch and mound wait there is a young hedge now between these two haystacks is a bed for a prince out upon the grumblers who are always finding fault with fortune the old lady with her purblind eyes gives it is true to one man a wisp of straw and to another a cap and plume but if he with the wisp wears it as gaily as the other does his bonnet why fortune's folly is mended by content i killed a fat buck in that wood not a month since continued longpole but good your worship tell not his grace of buckingham thereof by such conversation longpole strove to cheer the spirits of his young lord upon whose mind all the wayward circumstances of his fate pressed with no easy weight laying himself down however between the two haystacks 
while hartley found himself a similar bed hard by the young adventurer contrived soon to forget his sorrows in the arms of sleep and as he lay there very inconsiderately began dreaming of lady constance de grey sir payan wileton also soon took his place on the imaginary scene and in all the wild romance of a sleeping vision they both contrived to tease poor sir osborne desperately at length however as if imagination had been having her revel after judgment had fallen asleep and had then become drowsy herself the forms melted gradually away and forgetfulness took possession of the whole it was bright daylight when the knight awoke and all the world was gay with sunshine and resonant with the universe's matin song longpole however was still fast asleep and snoring as if in obstinate mockery of the birds that sat and sang above his head yet even in sleep there was a merry smile upon the honest englishman's face and the knight could hardly find the heart to wake him from the quiet blessing he was enjoying to the cares the fears and the anxieties of active existence wake richard said he at length wake the sun has risen this hour up started longpole so he has cried he well tis a shame i own that same old fellow the sun who could run alone before i was born and who has neither sat down nor stood still one hour since should still be up before me in the morning but your worship and i did not go to bed last night so early as he did ay replied the knight but he will still run on as bright as vigorous and as gay as ever long after our short race is done more fool he then said longpole he'll be lag last but how have you determined sir about visiting the noble duke i will go certainly replied the knight but good longpole tell me is it far from the manor for all my food yesterday was imprisonment and foul words odds life your worship must not complain of hunger then for such diet soon gives a man a surfeit but in troth tis more than one good mile however surely we can get a nuncheon of bread at some cottage as we go so shall your worship arrive just in time for his grace's dinner and i come in for my share of good things in the second or third hall as it pleases master yeoman usher so let us on sir in god's name climbing the hill they now cut across an angle of the forest and soon came to a wide open down whereupon a shepherd was feeding a fine flock of sheep singing lightly as he went along the silly beast the silly beast that crops the grassy plain enjoys more than the monarch's feast and never tastes his pain sing o oh, sing o oh, for high degree i'll be a sheep and browse the lee the broidered robe with jewels dressed the silks and velvets rare what are they to the woolly vest that shuts out cold and care sing o oh, sing o oh, for high degree a woolly coat's the coat for me the king he feeds on dainty meat then goes to bed and weeps the sheep he crops the wild thyme sweet and lays him down to sleep sing o oh, sing o oh, for high degree a careless life's the life for me this shepherd will have his hard-pressed curds and his brown bread said longpole and if your worship's hunger be like mine no way dainty we can manage to break our fast with him though it be not on manchets and stewed eels the knight was very willing to try the shepherd's fare and bending their course towards him they came up just as he was placing himself under an old oak leaving his sheep to the care of his dogs and found him well disposed to supply their necessities his pressed curds his ravelled bread and his leathern bottle full of thin beer 
were cheerfully produced and when the knight drawing from his pocket one of the few pieces that had luckily not been placed in his bags offered to pay for their refreshment the honest shepherd would receive no payment his good lord he said the duke of buckingham let none of his people want for anything in their degree from his chancellor to his shepherd content is as good as a king said hartley as they proceeded on their way but there does not your worship catch a glance of the house where those two hills sweep across one another with a small road winding in between them just as if under yon large mass of chalky stone that seems detached and hanging over the path with a bright gleam of sunshine seen upon the wood beyond do you not see the chimneys sir i do i do answered sir osborne but come let us on it cannot be far not above half a mile answered longpole but we must go round to the other side for on this lie the gardens which as i have heard are marvellous rich and curious there may be all kinds of foreign fruit corn trees capers lemons and oranges and they say that by a strange way they call grafting making as it were a fool of dame nature they give her a party-coloured coat causing one tree to bring forth many kinds of fruit and flowers of sundry colours i have seen the same in holland replied the knight where the art of man seems boldly as it were to take the pencil from nature's hand and paint the flowers with what hues he will walking rapidly on they soon crossed the fields that separated them from the park and skirting round the grounds reached the high road this ran along for about a mile under the thick massy wall which supported by immense buttresses and partially overgrown with ivy enclosed the domain on all sides every here and there some of the old english oaks the true aboriginal giants of our isle waved their wide bare arms over the boundary while still between the eye rested on the various hues of tender green which the earlier trees just began to put forth mingled with the dark shades of the pine and the yew the thick wall continued uninterrupted till towards the middle where turning abruptly round to the right it was seen flanking on both hands the wide road that led up to a pair of massy iron gates before the house on each side of these gates appeared a square tower of brickwork affording sufficient lodging for the porter and his men and round about the doors of which was a crowd of paupers already collected waiting for their daily dole which they received from the table of the duke through these sir osborne took his way followed by longpole yet not without a sort of murmur amongst the beggar-train who thinking everything that remained of the dinners in the various halls their own by right grumbled at each person who went in as if they thereby received an injury the gate being open the knight entered and looked round for some one to answer his inquiries the porter instantly stepped forth from his house and although the stranger's dress had lost the saucy freshness of its first gloss he doffed his cap with as much respect as if he had been robed in ermines and thus it may be invariably observed that where the noble and the great are affable and easy of access their dependents are in their station civil and courteous and where on the contrary the lord affects those airs of misproud haughtiness which offer but a poor comment on his mind's construction his servants never fail by their insolent rudeness to afford a fine caricature of their master's pride sir said the porter doffing his cap with a low bow imagining that the knight came to dine at the table in the second hall 
to which all strangers of respectable appearance were admitted tis not yet eleven o'clock and the dinner is never served till noon that will be more to my purpose replied the knight as i wish to have an audience of his grace if he now be in kent his grace walks in the flower garden replied the porter and i know not whether he may be spoken with but follow me sir and i will bring you to his chamberlain so saying he led the way across the court and ascending the steps of the terrace on which the mansion was raised he pushed open the hall door and conducted the knight through a merry group of servants engaged in various sports in a second hall where were a number of ecclesiastics and gentlemen of that intermediate grade which raised them above the domestics without giving them a title to associate with the persons admitted to the duke's own table here the porter looked round as if searching for some one amongst the various groups that tenanted the apartment and then begging the knight to wait a moment he left him finding that all eyes were fixed upon him with that sort of glance of cool impertinent inquiry which few persons scruple to exercise upon a stranger who comes new into a place where they themselves are at home sir osborne went up to some fine suits of armour which were ranged in order at the end of the hall amongst the rest was one of those beautiful fluted suits of milan steel which are now so rarely met with it was arranged as for use and the arm extended with the gauntlet resting on the pommel of an immense double-handed sword which was supported by a small rail of iron placed there as a guard the knight considered it all with the eyes of a connoisseur and taking the sword from underneath the gauntlet drew it partly out of the sheath you are a bold gentleman said one of the starers coming up to the knight do you know that these suits are my lord duke's what are you going to do with that sword to slit the ears of any one who asks me impertinent questions answered the knight turning suddenly round upon him cast him out cast him out cried a dozen voices who is a beggarly rascal with his grey doublet cast him out but the knight glanced round them with that sort of fierce determined look which tells that an adversary would have no easy task to master the heart that so lights up the eye and though some still cried to cast him out no one thought fit to approach too near peace peace cried an old ecclesiastic who had been sitting at the farther extreme of the hall and who now advanced peace see ye not by his spurs the gentleman is a knight my son he continued addressing sir osborne those arms are the noble duke of buckingham's and out of respect for our patron those who are admitted to this hall refrain from touching his ten suits that which seems to have excited your curiosity was the prize at a tournament given by an old friend of his grace some fifteen years ago and it is one of the most handsome in his possession i should not have touched those arms my good father answered the knight had i not thought that i recognized the suit and was drawing the blade to see if it was the same by what mark would you know it young gentleman demanded the priest if it be that i mean replied sir osborne there is written on the blade i will win my right or die in the fight true true said the clergyman there is so but you must be too young to have been at that tourney no matter said the knight but if i mistake not there is his grace's chamberlain as he spoke a gentleman dressed in a black velvet suit with a gold chain round his neck followed the porter into the hall and addressed himself to the knight 
"'I have communicated your desire,' said he, "'to my lord duke, who has commanded me to say "'that if your business with his grace "'be such as may pass through a third person, "'he prays you to inform him thereof by me. "'But if you must needs speak with him personally, "'he never denies his presence to those who really require it.' "'Though he spoke with all courtesy, "'there was something in the manner of the chamberlain "'that Sir Osborne did not like, "'and he answered full haughtily, "'Inform his grace that my business is for his private ear, "'and that a moment will show him whether it be such as he can hear with pleasure.' "'Then I have naught left, sir, but to lead you to his grace,' replied the Chamberlain, "'though I am sure you know that it is not well to trouble great men with small matters.' "'Lead on, sir,' said the knight, observing the Chamberlain's eye glance somewhat critically over his apparel. "'My doublet is not very new, you would say, but if I judge it good enough for your lord, it is too good for his servant's scorn.' The Chamberlain led on in silence through one of the side-doors of the hall, and thence by a long passage to the other side of the dwelling, where, issuing out upon the terrace, they descended into a flower-garden, laid out much after the pattern of a Brussels carpet, formed into long compartments divided by broad paved walks, the early flowers of the season were distributed in all manner of arabesques, each bed containing those of one particular colour, so that, viewed from above, the effect was not ugly, though somewhat stiff, and gay without being elegant. As Darnley descended, he beheld at the farther end a tall, dignified man of about the middle age, walking slowly up and down the longest walk. He was dressed in one of the straight coats of the day, stiff with gold embroidery, the upper part of the sleeve puffed out with crimson silk, and held down with straps of cloth of gold. The rest of his attire was of the same splendid nature, the high breeches of silken serge, pinked with gold, the mirabess, or small, low-crowned bonnet, of rich velvet, with a thin feather leaning across, fastened by a large ruby, the silken girdle with its jewelled clasp, all were corresponding, and though the dress might not be so elegant in its forms as that which we are accustomed to call the Van Dyke, yet it was far more splendid in its materials, and had perhaps more of majesty, though less of grace. Two servants walked about ten paces behind, the one carrying in his hands the lord's sword, the other bearing an orange, which contained, in the very centre, a sponge filled with vinegar. The duke himself was busily engaged in reading as he walked, now poring on the leaves of the book he held in his hand, now raising his eyes and seeming to consider what he had just collected. As the young knight approached, however, he paused, placed a mark between the leaves where he had left off, and advanced a step, with that affable smile and winning courtesy for which he was so famous. "'I give you good morrow, fair sir,' said he. "'My chamberlain says that you would speak with me. "'Methinks my good fortune has made me see your face before. "'Say, can Buckingham serve you?' and as he spoke he considered the young stranger attentively, as if he did really remember him. "'Your grace is ever courteous,' replied the knight, and then added, seeing that the chamberlain still stayed. "'But in the first place, let me say that what I was unwilling to communicate to this your officer, I am equally unwilling to speak before him.' "'Leave us,' said the duke. "'In truth, I know not why you stay. Now, fair sir, may I crave your name?' "'Tis now a poor one, my good lord,' replied the knight, "'Osborne Darnley.' "'Rich, rich, dear youth, in virtue and in merit,' cried the duke. 
taking him in his arms and embracing him warmly, which accolade did not escape the reverted eyes of the Chamberlain. Rich in honour and courage and every good quality, the Lord of Surrey, my good son-in-law, to whom you are a dear companion in arms, wrote me from Ireland some two months past that I might expect you here, evolved to me the plans which you have formed to gain the favour of the King, and prepared me to aid you to the best of my poor power. Hold you the same purpose of concealing your name which you proposed when you wrote from Flanders to Lord Surrey, and which you observed when last in this our happy country? I do, my good lord, replied the knight, on every account, but more especially as it is the wish and desire of him I am bound most to honour and obey, my father. My judgment goes with his and yours, said the duke, more especially as for some cause that proud man Wolsey, when— not long since i petitioned the king to see your noble father stepped in and stayed the wavering consent that hung upon his grace's lips but think not my dear youth that i have halted in your cause far from it i have urged your rights with all the noblest and best of the land while your own merits and the high name you have acquired in serving with the emperor have fixed your interest on the sure basis of esteem so that wherever you find a real english heart and but whisper the name of Darnley, there you shall have a friend. Yet, indeed, I have much to complain of in my lord your father. Indeed, indeed, your grace, cried the knight, the quick blood mounting into his cheek. Some misconception must make you think so. My father, heaven knows, is full of gratitude and affection towards you. Nay, protest not, replied Buckingham with a smile. I have the strongest proof of his ingratitude and bad esteem. For what can be so great a proof of either as to refuse an offered kindness? Oh, I understand your grace, said Sir Osborne. But though the noble, the princely offers of pecuniary assistance which your grace held out to him were declined, my father's gratitude was not the less. For five long years I have not seen him, but in all his letters he speaks of the noble Duke of Buckingham as one whose virtues have shamed him for misanthropy. Well, well answered the duke at least remember you were counted once as my page when you were a child no higher than my knee so now with you i will command whereas with your father i could but beg and i will say that if you use not my house my servants and my purse you hold buckingham at naught but we must be more particular come into my closet till dinner be served and tell me all for young soldiers are rarely rich and i will not have my purpose balked we shall not pursue the farther conversation of the duke of buckingham and the young knight suffice that the frank generosity of his noble friend easily drew from sir osborne all his history even to the very day his plans his wishes and his hopes the conduct of sir payam wileton and his desperate designs his own intention to seek the court and strive to win the favour of the king before he disclosed himself were all displayed before the duke who could not fail to encourage him to persevere, both by words of hope and proffers of assistance. "'As to your enemy, Sir Payam Wileton,' said the Duke, "'I know him well. He is a desperate villain, and yet such men are useful in great enterprises. You say you met that strange but wonderful man, Sir Caesar. Did he not tell you anything concerning me? But no, he was wise. His grace the king might die without issue mail, and then—' god knows however we will not think of that and with these dark hints of some more remote and daring schemes 
the duke of buckingham contented himself for the time and returned to the more immediate affairs of him whose interests he now so warmly embraced but in the midst of their conversation the controller of the household entered to marshal the way to the banquet hall what said you my dear youth was the name you had adopted demanded the duke for i must gain you the acquaintance of my friends ever since the sequestration of our estates replied the knight and their transfer to sir payam wileton i have when in england borne the name of osborne morris osborne morris said the duke with some emphasis as if he found something extraordinary in the name how came you to assume that in truth i know not answered the knight twas fixed on by my father yes i now remember said the duke after musing for a while he was a dear friend of my good lord your father's i mean the other sir osborne morris who supported perkin warbeck but twill do as well as another the name is forgotten now End of chapter nine